Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. We have uh, some things I want to let you kind of know about information-wise and then just some family stuff, let you know about what's going on inside the church. Um, As we start off this new year, first of all, let me get this done there, Uh, we have our four-year anniversary coming up in a few weeks. Four years. As a church, we made it through COVID. I was just telling someone, I'm like, man, when things shut down, a lot of churches were like, uh, we don't know if we're going to be around. It got crazy earlier this year, and uh, that's why every Sunday, I'm just thrilled to see the faces of people that are newer, people that have been here almost from the beginning. And uh, just the story of what God is doing, it's, it's just incredible. I feel so privileged uh, just to be together and through what we've gone through this year. And so, uh, so we're going to celebrate. So I think, Lorley, is it in two weeks from today? Is that what we did? We, decide, we had a meeting this morning for about five minutes and decided. And Lorley's the one that reminded me, too. I'm like, how many years has it been? Four, five, six? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we're going to have some, uh, some custom-made uh, cupcakes and a cake by a very special guest. And so, yeah, uh, so we're super stoked about that. And uh, so it's going to be good. And uh, so if you don't want sugary things, bring your own food. Otherwise, we're going to celebrate with sugar and uh, after church. So plan on just hanging out in a few weeks, maybe a little bit longer, and uh, celebrating that. We'll think about some other things that we maybe want to do to kind of celebrate. You know what we'll probably do? I'm um, thinking about it as we're just going out to fly. We might have a little bit of sharing that week, just about what God's been doing through our church, just in your life, just maybe an encouraging Sunday. So um, maybe that'll be uh, the plan. So I'll give you guys a heads up, and so we're kind of ready to share and just have a little bit of time together and encourage one another. I always like that, to hear from each other what God is doing and things like that. By the way, what God is doing, I'd like to bring up the Flores family. If you guys would come up. I don't know if all the boys want to come up or just Jose and Nigeli. <laughs> They might be like, ah, but we'd love to have you guys come up. Uh, this family is so encouraging to me on a lot of fronts, but especially what God has taken them through as far as uh, it's been a, a, a process, especially this last year, uh, of really finalizing something that God laid on the heart. And that is to, is it, I, I know it's fostering, but is it foster to adopt or is it mainly, so that'd be the attention, but definitely fostering, which I think is, um, there is no, here, I'll scoot over here so you guys can kind of fit, man, you got a big family, man, you know, you guys, um, to me, to show the gospel of Jesus, like what it's all about, if you decide as a family to foster, foster, adopt, anything like that, it's, that's the gospel, that's like clearly the gospel, right, and Jesus talks about how he adopts us in, and so, um, I'm just so proud of you guys and that I'd love to, for this to be something that even in our church, we embrace more and more and support families in that and participate. We'll pray about that and see that happen. But, uh, Jay, I know I've talked to you. You know, your guys' family's been a part of that. And I know that's a passion of yours. There might be other people. Um, and so um, it's just neat to see. Well, it all came to fruition. It's been a, a year process to get this done. I know that's been long. But we have here, if you guys want to welcome Timothy. Right now, they got little Timothy. Hey, Nayeli's like he's he. Oh, he's he's smiling. 
I won't, I won't go too long because I know he's heavy now. <laughs> She's like, he's a heavy baby. So be praying for Timothy and the family. Obviously, uh, right now, this is a uh, foster situation. The family's going through some things. And uh, we'll see how the court system kind of works out and things like that. But they're loving on Timothy. And he doesn't even know the fullness of love, but, um, but that he would. And so I would like to do is just to pray for them as a, as a family and that God would bless him. And that little Timothy, that even at this young age, the Holy Spirit would already be working in his heart and um, have him here for a reason. Um, and whether he knows or not, but as he grows up, he would never forget. I don't know how that would happen because he's so small, but never forget the floor of his family and, and what God can do in their lives. So I want you, A, to know what they're doing. I just feel like they're a great example to us. And not just praying uh, for the parents, but for all you guys too. Just so you guys know, all you guys are a part of this, loving on him. And and I know it can be one of those things too is you got, you got someone new. Now you got to share, right? You got to share attention and things like that, right? But that um, that's your way of loving little Timothy is by sharing your parents, right? And uh, these guys just participating. So let's be praying for the whole family. And if you have any questions about the process, I know you can talk to JJ. Raise your hand there. In the back, you talk to him. Uh, you can talk to Jose and Nigeli about that. That's something God lays on your heart. The other thing I like to do, too, is, and I didn't mention this, but I'm going to go ahead and mention it, is um, Jose, uh, just be praying for him as far as, uh, was it uh, a few weeks ago, tested positive uh, for COVID. Um, the whole family kind of got through it, hit Jose a little bit harder. Um, and so just, um, just be praying as far as just the anxiety that can bring. And we're all at different levels of just either knowing about COVID or having it and just, and all of our bodies respond differently. And just that we're supporting you as far as your recovery and things like that. And so, um, and just continued health for the family. So there it is. Anything else I want to share about you guys that you don't want them to know? <laughs> Their top three sins are this. No. <laughs> so, and by the way, uh, they're going to be uh, hanging out, doing some children's ministry. And so um, hanging out with your kids. So thank you guys for doing that. Let me pray. Jesus. Um, thank you for this family uh, and just to walk with them. And thank you for each person in this family. Each of them makes a difference in little Timothy's life. God, we pray that Timothy would come to know you um, as Savior, as Father, that no matter what he goes through in life, whether, I don't know, he stays with this family or they love him and then give him back, God, that most of all he would know that you are, um, you are his God. And I pray that the love, the prayers that are over him, the way they love him, the way they nurture him, the way they play with him, all that would make a difference in his life. And so we pray that Timothy would know you, God, and walk with you. And so we pray that you would strengthen this family, God. There's going to be some good days. There's going to be frustrating days. Um, things change when you bring someone in the home. And I pray that you bless each one of the boys here. Uh, God, give them a heart just to serve Timothy, to serve each other, to be patient with one another, to be praying for one another. Uh, but that they would know that they would be rewarded for being Christ-like to little Timothy. And so, God, we just pray you would strengthen them. We pray for uh, health for Jose. Uh, God, give him a full recovery. And uh, not just physically, but even just psychologically and mentally as far as going through something uh, where you're sick like this. And, um, God, I pray that you would just strengthen him, give him a peace, and give him a vision for just continue to lead this family and where you want uh, this family to go, God. And strengthen them this morning as they hang out with some of our kids. That can be a chore, God. So we pray you bless them too in that. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, let's give him a hand. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Timothy's stoked already. That's great, man. Yeah, happy. At least he got a happy, he got a happy baby. That's good.
All right, if you have your Bibles, you're going to be using them. So get ready there. If you're cold, get your fingers stretched out. Get them ready to go. Warm them up. Hitting that app or opening your Bible. Uh, primarily, we're going to be in John chapter 10. We're entering into, uh, I've really enjoyed John personally. I've just enjoyed studying it over and over again and then taking our church through John. Um, now we're getting to the fun part. If I'm, I mean, the whole book's fun, but this is to me is the most fun. Getting into kind of John chapter 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, just some great stuff that we're going to be going through. And so we're also going to be, if you want to kind of uh, mark it, you're going to be going to Ezekiel 34. And some of you are like, I didn't know Ezekiel was even in the Bible. So you've already learned something. It's in the Old Testament. And so I'm going to give you time. I'm giving you about 20 minutes to find it. All right. So you're welcome. You're going to be in Ezekiel. So if you if you have your phone, it's easy to find. Those of you with a paper Bible, good luck, all right? But it's in the Old Testament, and we'll see if you can find it in 20 minutes. Um, what I've found over time is that most people, the main issue with God is not if he's real, but is he good? And we tend to think that, oh, you got to debate people that to prove God is real. I found that, first of all, to be a very easy debate when I've gotten into a debate, and that was mainly in college. I don't debate too much anymore. I don't care to. But to convince people there's a God, that's to me, that's not really hard. To convince them that he's good, that's another thing, right? Why is there war? Why is there COVID? Why is there a pandemic? Why is there uh, poverty? Why do we have sin? Why do we have all these things? And, and you can wonder if God is is good. And I would say that's been most of our problem throughout history, but it's still most of our problem today, even as Christians. I would say that when we wander in our faith, that when we wander even in life, we, we forget this really, really important thing that God wants to know is that he's good. And I know some of us are like, I've heard that before, right? Maybe some of us grew up in a church that you repeated things back and forth. I, uh, I was in a a Southern Baptist church for a little while when I was a little kid. I had to wear the suit. That was the worst. I had to wear a suit, right? We don't make you wear suits. I had to wear a suit. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, but the, the pastor uh, used to say, um, God is good. And what would the, the church respond back? Oh, some of you. All right, little Baptist in here. All right, some of you. You didn't say it with that Baptist passion, though. You guys are like, all the time. Uh, God is good. And all the time? We're going to convert all you to Baptists today. God is good. Over there, God is good. And all the time, that's what he used to do. Man, he used to point like that. He'd point people out. I won't do that today. But why, why was that so important? Because we kind of know it, but we don't live it. That God is good. And this is something that, that Jesus really wants us to understand today. And I would say that's one of the main reasons why Jesus came. It's to remind us that God is good and that he came at a time into a certain group of people, especially the Israelites that were chosen by God, but they forgot how good God is. And when you forget how good God is, I think that changes your life. You forget really how to live a good life. My problems with my walk with God really start with that. I remember as a kid growing up in a quasi-Christian family, my mom was probably more of the driver of Christianity, and I had two different dads growing up, 
uh, and they, they weren't really a, a part of that. And uh, the, the difficulty I had with following God is it just didn't seem like he was that good. So even with all the things I learned in Bible, you know, all that, it's like, but do I want to follow a God that just allows all this crud in my life, abuse and, and poverty and constantly moving? I moved, I remember it was, it was like 18 times in 12 or 13 years. And everyone's like, military family? Nope, just divorce and poverty. <laughs> like just moving apartments to mobile home complexes and just all these kinds of things and the chaos that goes with that in that environment. That's like, okay, even if God is, he's king of kings and lord of lords. Well, he's a king I really don't want to follow. I'd rather, if this is what it means to be a part of his kingdom, all this chaos, all this darkness, I'll just create my own <laughs> darkness. I'll create my own kingdom, right? And so, because I just didn't see God as, as good and that affected my life, right? So even if I went to church, it didn't really impact me Monday through Saturday. Because is God really that good? He's real, but is he good? Became a Christian. Became a pastor in my early 20s. Followed God for a while, and then, had a time period where I stepped away from God, stepped away from ministry. Uh, my wife and I went through several miscarriages, desiring a, a, a big family. And remember our prayer was, we just thought like, I mean, we're not the worst parents in the world. We love Jesus, pretty good home. We're fairly funny people, kind of cool to be around, you know. I think, I don't know what our kids think, but I'll ask them this morning. But, you know, it's like, we're not the worst. Like, and just thinking like, how fun it'd be to have a large family and we like, you know, noise around the house, and we like that kind of chaos and things like that, and and so that would be a good prayer, and a good God would give us a big family because we're pretty good people, and we love him, and I'm a pastor, and we give, and we forgive people, and we're pretty good, all that kind of stuff, and so going through these miscarriages and maybe not those expectations that we had, it's like, is God really good, and beginning to doubt that, and what were the effects of that? Well, me, then, if God isn't good, then I don't care about others, and quitting ministry and really abandoning my faith for a couple years. And there's a story behind that of how I kind of came back, but I won't get into that today. But just when you doubt God's goodness, it can put you on a, on a, on a crazy path. When we engage in John chapter 10, it's a popular passage, but I want to give you the, the context because the people were battling with God's goodness. You see, the common thought then is that God is mysterious. And so this thing called Gnosticism, if you read through the New Testament, you might have heard the word of Gnostics. And these are people that, well, in order to really engage with God, you have to be a deep thinker. Have you ever been around people like that? Like to really know God, you need to have these big Christian words or you need to think deeply and, 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 and God's kind of mysterious. And so if you're a common person, you don't think that deeply, you really can't know God that well. So the smarter you are, the more you can know God. And so that really was pervasive um, within Judaism and within the Israelites as far as like there's a sense of you can't really know God because you don't have the education, you're not that smart, you don't know Greek and Hebrew and all this kind of stuff. And so it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, only the smart people know him. And so God seemed very far out, almost unknown, because he's so mysterious, and I'm just, you know, maybe uh, I can't give this educated guess of what he's like. There's also this dominance of, well, God is just for the few. So if you're healthy, wealthy, and good-looking, that means God's blessed you and he likes you. If you're poor, sick, or you're a little bit ugly, God doesn't like you. And that was really pervasive. You guys kind of laugh, but we get that today, right? You, you see a pastor that looks good, good skin, you know, text, really charismatic and, 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 and speaks well, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, they must be godly. Look at the way that it flows. Look at what they look. They, look, they have this. They have, they have everything together. 
or you see other Christians that are like that. They have everything together, so you must be godly. And if someone's a little bit disheveled or they can't necessarily speak really well or they don't have the look or whatever, we actually do that today. So we can easily buy into people just off of their looks. That's what was going on back then. They look good. They have the hair. They speak well. They have the money. Obviously, God's blessed them. All their kids follow God. Everything they do touches the gold. Every investment goes great. Everything they do. And so there's this assumption. And so if you don't have those things, then is God really that good for me? For a lot of people, too, and, and this is who Jesus is speaking to, a lot of people felt like God is just too demanding. I don't know if you realize this, but God gave the Ten Commandments, but a lot of leaders felt like that wasn't enough, so they added 600 extra rules. <laughs> don't you love it when leaders try to help God and they add extra rules to your life? Some of us grew up in churches like that, right? Ten Commandments, that's not enough. We're going to help God out. Let's add 600 more, right? So God says, don't get drunk. I'm going to say, don't even have a sip of beer. How dare you? We're going to add extra rules, so we're extra godly. And God's like, I didn't need your help. I didn't ask for your help, right? So we add these extra rules. And so people felt like that God was super demanding. And if you don't follow every rule, you're a lawbreaker, and God doesn't love you. So you have this culture where you have these leaders that are good-looking, wealthy. They already look like they have it together. They're giving extra rules that Jesus would say, you don't even follow yourself, even though they appear to be. And so there's this culture as far as God's so distant, so mysterious, he's so demanding, he's only for the few. And then these leaders would say, you need a middleman. You can't go directly to God. You don't know how to speak. You don't know how to work. Like, so you need to come to us, and we'll go to him for you. And so there's this sense of you need a middleman. And we can kind of do that today, right? I've seen this in our, in our culture where it's just like you can't go straight to the Bible because you don't know what it means. You can't go straight to the word of God, and so you've got to always – Listen to someone else maybe that's listened to a sermon or you got to always listen to a Christian. That's and so sometimes we can, without knowing it, we always go through other Christians rather than going directly to God. We miss that direct relationship. So it can happen even in our lives today. And so when we pick up in John 10, here's the setting that's going on is the first nine chapters, Jesus, if you notice, is constantly debating these leaders. They're called Pharisees. He's debating them, really trying to prove who God is is then from john 10 through 17 the reason i like this so much is he's not debating anymore he's just revealing he's given object lessons this is when um he starts doing things as far as uh you know when he washes the disciples feet he's giving an object lesson so he's not debating anymore now he's just revealing i'm going to reveal to you who god truly is and then we see from john 18 through 21 uh, we see the sacrifice and the glory of jesus so when we pick up in john 10 we're going to start in verse 7. And Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Okay, remember, whenever you read the Bible, you always have to read context. What did we talk about last week? John 9. What did Jesus do in John 9? He healed a blind man. What happened? The Pharisees say, you can't heal on Sabbath. Again, they're extra rules. They added extra rules saying you can't heal because God said to rest. Part of the Ten Commandments, right, is to rest. But not just to rest. We're going to do all these other rules, and you're not allowed to heal now, even though God never said you can't heal. 
Never said that. But they're adding it to him. And so Jesus heals, and they get mad. And remember last week we talked about how then he debates the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And what did Jesus say to the Pharisees? Do you remember what we talked about last week? He called them out. He said some harsh words. Do you remember? He said, your father is who? The devil. If you want to have an awkward conversation with someone, tell them that their father is the devil. That's an awkward moment. But you'll notice Jesus doesn't mind awkward moments. You see, the truth provides awkward situations, but through awkward situations, you can actually find freedom because we have to wrestle with something. And Jesus wasn't saying it to condemn them. He was saying it to reveal as far as listening. You're following a false gospel. And though you worship God, you actually obey Satan. Now, not that they were worshiping Satan. They weren't having these, these seances where they're like, you know, chanting to Satan. It was inadvertent. That's what I talked about last week. Remember, you're, you're kicking the ball in the wrong goal. So even though you're playing the game of soccer, you're scoring for the wrong team. We talked about that last week. Remember, John 10 now is a continued conversation on that. So Jesus is talking now to the Pharisees, like, now let me illustrate uh, what I mean through this. And so he's giving very vivid imagery of list of the, to the listeners because they understood sheep. They understood that, that to corral the sheep, you'd have one gate that they go in and out of, right? And so he's saying, like, listen, this is who I am. Let me explain who I am to you so that you can understand um, the importance of who Jesus is, but also you can understand the character of God. And he's calling out the religious leaders. We know that because in John chapter 10, verse 1, he specifically says to the Pharisees that he's speaking to them. And he says, so I am the gate. And that he's talking about that there are thieves and that there are robbers. The sheep have not listened to them. And so he's talking about that the sheep and the character of the sheep. Now, when we talk about sheep, you might have heard sermons before where sheep are pretty dumb animals, right? And so then maybe you heard a pastor say that, well, you're dumb because sheep are dumb. And there's a lot of truth in that. I think God would say, like, listen, sheep are dumb. I'm using you as far as, like, if you, have, if you think you're super smart, you got it all together. How God looks at us is like, listen, you're at about the level of sheep. They're not the smartest. If one goes off the cliff, what do you think the other ones do? They go off the cliff. They just kind of follow, right? That would be like social media. You read something, you see something, we all kind of, right? You got this thing of whatever's happening in society, people kind of easily follow, whether it's, you know, uh, emotions or whether it's actions or whether it's everybody's wearing this, everybody's speaking this way, everybody's doing that. We follow things in culture easily. And God says, yeah, that's pretty much. But here's the other thing about sheep is that they're easily deceived and they're easily preyed upon. And remember last week he says that your father's the devil and the devil seeks to destroy and kill and lie, right? And what he's saying is like it's not just about your intellect, that you're smart or dumb or anything like that. Yes, compared to God, you're like sheep. But here's the thing a sheep is, do you realize how vulnerable you are? Sheep are very vulnerable. If they don't have a shepherd, they're easily eaten by wild animals. And we're saying, listen, you're not just understanding something about me, about yourself. No matter how strong you feel, you're vulnerable. In fact, when you feel strong is probably when you're most vulnerable because you feel like you don't need the shepherd. I'm a super strong sheep. I'm a super, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a tough sheep. I'm a, t I'm, a, I'm a fast, I'm a fast sheep. I'm good, right? And so what happens is that sheep can develop pride or confidence, doesn't need the shepherd, doesn't realize is you can't outrun a wolf. <laughs> doesn't matter how strong. 
You can't outrun a wolf. And what he's saying is there's a vulnerability there. But then he goes on to say, of, listen, verse 11. But I am the good shepherd. Not just the shepherd. God is a good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 12, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. And he's specifically talking about the Pharisees. Your hired hand. What he's saying is if you're a leader, whether a Christian leader in the church or a leader at, at, at home as a parent, if you're a parent, you're a leader, or in a youth group, or in any kind of ministry, or anything, if you're a leader, you're a hired hand as far as, listen, they're not yours. This is why uh, Peter reminds leaders saying, listen, hey, be shepherd to people, but do it with a loving hand. Uh, do it as far as with compassion. Why? Because these people are not your own. They're God's. Same thing as a parent. That kid is not your own. They're God's. So treat them as God's child, not your specific child as far as you got to do what I want. No, no, no. They're, they're God's. They're, they're, they're owned by him, not by you. And so he's talking about the leaders here saying, listen, you're like a hired hand. So when they see the wolf coming, they abandon the sheep and run away. Why? Because those sheep aren't theirs. Then the wolf attacks the flock and it scatters. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He's calling out the leaders here. He's saying, listen, your job is to, to do this and you're not doing it. You run away when there's trials. You run away when there's difficulty. You run away when the, when the sheep, um, they're in danger. But Jesus does it. He's a good shepherd. He lays down his life. He's the primary protector. He's the primary provider. Now, this is in context. Now go to Ezekiel. This is in context to Ezekiel 34. Just so you know, this, this passage that we're reading is rich with the Old Testament. So when the original hearers, when they were listening to this, they were remembering the Old Testament of who God is. Ezekiel 34, right now, private time. I want you just to read on your own. 34, 1 through 16. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 16. And notice the correlation of what Jesus is doing here. I'm going to ask for some feedback, so read it well. All right, take your time. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 16. What are you guys getting out of that? As far as what do you hear God saying in Ezekiel? And remember, Ezekiel was written hundreds of years before Jesus came. What, what are some main things? What are either a word or a thought that, that's, give me some interaction. The leaders were self-serving, right? Yeah. You're not feeding them, so I'm going to feed them. Here's what's crazy about that, just so you guys know. Back in 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 8. But read the whole book, cause I, I, I'm, but I'm thinking chapter 8. Someone can correct me. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to trust God. It's in First Samuel 8. But where God says, I'm going to be your king, unlike the other nations that always have a man. I'm going to be your king. So there's going to be no king. You're just going to say, God's my king. And what did the Israelites do? Nah. We want to be like the other nations. Like, nah, we'll pass on you, dude. Can you give us a king? And he said, fine, I'm actually going to. And this shows the humility of God. Be careful what you tell God, because God might be like, okay. Even though that's not my will, I'll give that to you. God, I want this now. 
I want this money. I want this person. I want this job. I want this promotion. I want, and you haven't really like sought the ramifications of it, or you haven't thought about it, or you haven't thought as far as, is this God's will? Be careful what God's like, uh, that's not my will, but I'll give it to you. And you know what he says is, listen, I'm going to give you a king, but there'll be consequences. And here's where the consequences were. They'll lead you, and they'll be harsh. They'll tax you. And they said, that's fine, because we'll be like other nations. And God's like, all right. So you're seeing how this is attached, and now God comes back to Ezekiel being like, uh, I told you. <laughs> I told you. You can trust me. you got to come straight to me. It's not that you can't trust other people or walk with other people, but they can't be your primary source of protection and provision. A government, a teacher, even in a marriage, even your kids, they're not your primary source of of uh, purpose, of protection, of provision, that they'll feed me, they'll give me. No, it always goes bad. Oh, if I only just had this many kids. Oh, if I only had a husband. Oh, if I only had a wife. Oh, if I only had, could date someone. Oh, if I only had this much money. We constantly put, we, we put other things ahead of God, and we wonder why things then, right? And Jesus says, that's why you're sheep. <laughs> but I'm the good shepherd. What, what are other things you pull from Ezekiel? What, what's a word or what's a thought? That's, that was really good. What's the other word or thought that popped out to any of you? And how do you love people well? I want to encourage you with this. Be careful of labeling them rather than seeing them as a victim. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruffle some feathers. Be careful of labeling them through your own lens and not realizing that you're dealing with a victim. I want to encourage you with this. The Bible says we're all sheep which means we're being hunted. The Bible talks about how Satan's a wolf. He's a deceiver. He's a liar and things like this. Sometimes what we do is we act like people should know better. You should have things together. You should have this. You should have that. And what we do is we label people as far as not seeing them as far as, no, there's a spiritual thing going on there where maybe there's deception going on. Maybe there's lies. Maybe there's pain that's gone on. And, and what happens is rather than having an anger, for Satan's rule, we have an anger towards people, the very people that God's trying to save, we're actually angry with. And so we label them. And rather than realizing we're all sheep, we're all part of the same family, we label them as wolves. And the Bible says, no, 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 Satan's the wolf. <laughs> so when you start calling other people's wolves on social media, people of different political parties, and I'm talking about even, yes, in the middle of a recall, Gavin Newsom, you see where we got to be careful? He's so evil. He, the Bible said, no, he's, he's sheep. Somewhere for Newsom, there's been maybe deceptions or maybe there's been this or that, but, but that God wants to save him. So do I pray for him? Even in the midst of your, your freedom to recall him, we have freedom. There's legal ways. But still is there a sense as a Christian, I can still pray 
that he would know Jesus, and I don't know, I don't know him personally. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But that he would know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That in the midst of even your desire, and maybe some of you are like, I ain't recalling. That's fine. Maybe for some people <laughs> there is, right? But that heart of he's not the enemy. Or someone. Again, I just even think of just like people we know, or again, um, I was thinking of this as far as uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I remember listening to them, and my mom, as a Christian, was like, Ugh, stop listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I can understand why. I mean, they would, they would perform nude on a stage. That's not the best thing to do, right, when, for your mom to let you go to a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert. Uh, and they would do all kinds of other things. And if you listen to their music, it's pretty hardcore, things like that. And then I read the biography of Anthony Kiedis, the lead singer. That at four, as a 14-year-old kid, his dad thought it would be cool to allow his girlfriend to sleep with Anthony Kiedis. So the dad's girlfriend, he asked the girlfriend to sleep with the son. And all of a sudden, I saw Anthony Kiedis as a victim, where somehow Satan had gotten into this family with drugs and perverted sexuality and all this kind of stuff. As a 14-year-old kid, that I don't know how God was trying to reach Anthony Kiedis, but Satan came in, and let me pervert that. And so if you wonder why the guy sings about maybe perverted things, act in perverted ways, he would even admit, this is not right. He said, my childhood was messed up. He's not even a Christian, and he'd say, that's dark, that's evil, that's messed up, but he doesn't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with this anger. I don't know what to do with this. And also you see Anthony Kiedis is not this performant influencer and be like, oh, evil things, and stay away from my kid. Like, oh, my God. This guy was a sheep that, the wolf got him. But there's a good shepherd. And Jesus says, and he lays down his life for the sheep. And that's where the gospel's through him. Anthony Kiedis needs Jesus. I remember reading that biography and praying for Anthony Kiedis. After I led that, I was like, this guy needs Jesus. You see, we begin to, when you talk about the flock, Lord Lee, you begin to see people as, we're all sheep. We're vulnerable. We're fragile. All of us can easily be taken away. The strongest Christian here today, next year, could not be following God. We're so fragile. All it took is miscarriages for me, and all of a sudden, I'm quitting ministry, and I'm not following God. I'm fragile. Jesus, I love you. I love you. I'll follow you to the end of the earth. Miscarriages, peace out. I'm done. I'm, I'm sheep. Even today, 47 years old, study the Bible, have all this past with God, but I realize I'm, I'm sheep, I'm fragile. So be careful about even putting me on some kind of a pedestal. Brian, you need to have it all together. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you protecting here? Why aren't you providing here? Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't put me as the king. Jesus says, just make him the king. Because you put a man or woman up, you will always be disappointed. Jesus reiterates this some more. Look at verse 14. He says again, remember that when we read the Bible, that whenever anything's repeated, you should circle or underline it. That's a big deal to God. That's like an exclamation point. Look at what he says again. I am the good shepherd. Why does he say that multiple times? Three times. Why does he say it? Because we don't believe he's good. He's wanting you to know that I am good. No matter what's happening in life, I am good. I will provide for you. I will protect you. But you got to stay with the shepherd. Anytime you start to wander off being like, ah, it's not that bad. Wolves aren't that bad. 
There's consequences. Stay with the shepherd. I am a good shepherd. You can trust me. I know my sheep and my, my sheep uh, know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Have any of you heard this verse before, by the way, too, when he says this? And people are like, oh, does that mean that there's other sheep on other planets and that there's aliens? I've actually heard that before. Where people are like, like what, is this, what does this mean? Again, you only say that when you don't read the Bible in context. Remember, who is Jesus speaking to right now? Who is he primarily speaking to? Pharisees. Pharisees are Jewish people. Were Jewish people big on non-Jewish people following God? Okay, yeah, they weren't big on that. They were kind of like, we're exclusive, we're the chosen people, and you're a Gentile, and because of the way you were born, you're out. That's kind of their mindset. All Jesus was saying is like, listen, guys, there's other sheep. You're not the only ones. All he's talking about is Gentiles. He's not talking about aliens from other planets. I've heard that before. I'm like, no, you're not reading the Bible in context, all right? So he says, I have other sheep. They're on this planet. They're called Gentiles. That's mainly you people because I'm from Jewish heritage, but I accept you, all right, because Jesus tells me to. So, so you can listen, right? Gentiles will. So he, he's telling them that I want to bring them in. They will listen to my voice also. There will be what? One flock and one shepherd, Jews and Gentiles together. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it back up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it of my own accord. This is the goodness of God. Jesus willingly dies for you and me. Willingly, gladly. No fear, no trepidation. He is so good that he will lay down his life so you can experience the fullness of life. What is the fullness of life? To trust God every day. The fullness of life is simply this, you guys. Tomorrow, you can trust God fully with your life, with your future, with your health, with your relationships, with your finances. I'm talking to every part of your life, with your PTSD, with your ADD, with whatever other letters that go after that, because we have that, right? And some of us want to deny those things. Oh, you're not trusting God, and we're labeled and all these things. No. We all have some kind of letters after all of our names. We're all messed up, right? We just, some of us are good at hiding it and others aren't. That's the only difference. That's the only difference. But we realize we're all sheep. We're all fragile. We all have something wrong with us. This is where we can show grace to one another. And we, where we can see where God is so good because he still loves us and desires to be with us. And he doesn't label us. He sees us as a victim, that a wolf is coming after us. And he draws us in. This is the beauty of God's grace. So this is why that God, as a shepherd does, pursue his sheep, even when the sheep aren't pursuing him. That's what a good shepherd does. And they would know this. Good shepherds look for their sheep. They try to bring them back in, and God does that to us. This reminds us of a famous psalm right now, one of the most famous psalms ever. Even if you're a Christian or you're not a follower of God, Psalm what? 23. And I wonder if Jesus is saying these words of I'm the good shepherd. I wonder if Psalm 23, that any good Jewish person back then, they would have this memorized. Psalm 23 is a given. You'd have this memorized, right? So as Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd, well, how do you define a good shepherd? Psalm 23 says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. If God is your shepherd, you lack nothing. Understand this, if God is your shepherd, you lack nothing. But Brian, I don't have this, I don't have that. 
I don't have this dream. I desire that. No, no, no. You lack nothing if God is your shepherd. He knows everything you need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. This is all the things that a shepherd does. A shepherd brings peace, helps me to slow down, leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes. He fills my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesakes. Understand this. No matter what you're going through, if you trust God, he will walk with you in those paths. Even when those paths are uncertain, when they're rocky, when they're steep, when they're difficult. He goes on to say that even though I walk through the darkest valley, not notice he doesn't walk around the darkest valley, but through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, which means blessing. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love flow and follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what's amazing about Psalm 23? Is it comes after Psalm 22. That's what's amazing. We love Psalm 23. Has anyone read Psalm 22, though? Check out what Psalm 23 comes after. Psalm 22 starts off this way. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you remember the words of Jesus on the cross? You guys, are you getting the chills as far as how the Bible connects? Psalm 26, why have you forsaken me? How do you get out of despair? How do you get out of anxiety? How do you get out of that, that, that loneliness that feels like it's just overwhelming? That you feel like God has forsaken you. I don't have what I want. You go to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. How do I know if God is my shepherd? Are you allowing him to walk with you through the darkest valleys? Or are you scared and then running away from him? Are you allowing his staff and rod to comfort you? Are you drawing into his word? Are you drawing into talking to him rather than always talking to others? Are you looking to people rather than looking to God? Are other people the source of your salvation rather than God? Now does John 10 make sense when he says, I am the good shepherd. Not saying you won't go through a dark valley, but I'm with you. And if I'm with you, no evil can get you. No wolf can get you. So you don't need to be scared. This is when the disciples, remember when there's storms and the disciples are freaking out and Jesus wakes up, he's like, oh, what's going on? He just tells the winds, be quiet. What is he showing them? I'm the good shepherd. You worry about things that God doesn't worry about because he's in control. Whether it's in our society, what they're worrying about, whether it's in your family, or whether it's your own internal personal worries. If God is the shepherd, and if you're a sheep, which means you're dependent on him, then you can have peace. And you can trust that he's good. No matter the circumstances, if he's good, then life is good. If God is good, then life is good. And what happens is if you don't believe God is good, then that's when we get anxiety. That's when we begin to do things on our own. And that's when it can get frustrating and get very convoluted. I am the good shepherd. God is good. All the time. I want to encourage you, especially if you're young in your faith, to test God in that, you'll see it. You know, it's interesting. I look back on my childhood, three different dads, 18, 19 different homes, different schools, private school, public school, 
I had all these weird experiences. Lived in the mountains, lived in the city. Like all, I'm like, what a weird, like, just weird upbringing. And it all made sense when God called me into ministry. I gave my life to Jesus, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And he called me into ministry. You know why? Because it gave me the ability to connect with almost every kind of kid. Oh, you grew up in a Christian home? My mom was a Christian the whole time. Parents are divorced? Been through it two times. Have no money? Been there. You're out of new school? Been there. You're depressed? Been there. Suicidal? Been there. And what I despised growing up, I saw as a blessing and ministry of like, oh, thank you, God. There's almost, there's almost nobody that I can't connect with because of my crazy, crazy upbringing. I was actually thankful for it. How good is God that he said, I'm going to prepare you for ministry? By going to Bible school? <laughs> no, you fool. That's stupid. I'm going to give you three dads. But a mom who loved Jesus when she lived and when she died. I'm going to show you what life is like with no money. I'm going to show you what life is like with a lot of money. I'm going to show you what life is like with friends. I'm going to show you what life is like when you have no friends. And that prepared me for ministry. What about the miscarriages? Is God really good? Yeah, he's good. Because I got kids in heaven that are waiting for me. Because once that heart beats, they're a baby. And they're yours. Appreciated the two kids that I do have. Made me appreciate them even more. Most of all, God's goodness was revealed when years later we'd find out that there was some kind of an anomaly, and I won't go into details, but within Christine that if she would have carried all the way through, there was a likelihood that she could have died. When the doctor revealed that, all of a sudden I was like, whoa, maybe I should slow down my role being angry with God. He's like, I was protecting your wifey. Okay, thank you. And you know what those things do as a sheep? It humbles me saying, you know what? Don't act smarter than you are. Don't think you know more than God. Just play the role of a sheep. Trust your shepherd <laughs> because that's a good life. And I hope you get to experience that kind of goodness. He's a good God no matter what you're going through. And that gives you a perspective on how to live life and go through it with truly having life. The worship team is going to come up now. And I hope this sets the context of worship for you where you can really worship freely and you can understand how much God loves you and how much you can trust him and put your life in his hands. And even when you're like, ah, it feels scary. No, you're going to go through those dark valleys. But here's the thing. You got the good shepherd. You got the good shepherd. And you can know that even if the circumstances are bad, he will bring out good. Even if the situation is uncomfortable, he will bring comfort. This is who he is. And circumstances don't change that. As we worship, we're reminded of how good of a shepherd he is by taking communion. Communion reminds us that he is a shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. That you can never question God's goodness because the cross is the anchor. It's the foundation that we say whenever I forget or whenever I begin like, does God really, is he really good? Does he really love me? Every week we're reminded of what he went through. And what he was willing to go through because of his love for us to give us life and to protect us. And here's the thing that ultimately protects us from Satan. Satan's ultimate victory is to get us to fear death. And we saw that this year. And we still see it. This fear of death. And I want to remind you of this. What communion does is it breaks that fear. Because Satan tries to have us live in fear of this is the only life you have. 
And God says, no, 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 you're going to live forever. And I'm going to remind you of that. And I'm going to break Satan's grip that death no longer has its sting. And God's greatest goodness is that we live forever with him. It's not just about now. It's about forever. So, Jesus, we come before you now. And I just praise a church that, if I'm honest, God, I feel like sometimes we forget that you're good. We forget that you're a shepherd. We're almost like, I'm a sheep that's on my own. I've got to find my own food. I've got to protect myself. And sheep are horrible. They can't. They don't run fast. They don't have claws. They don't have horns that really protect them at all. They're, they're defenseless. And, but when they realize that, they can just take comfort and let me just stick around the shepherd and I'm good. And I pray that we would almost receive our weakness, realizing that that's what it means then to find strength in you. That we realize how weak we are, how scared we are, how fragile we are. But our joy is that we have a really good shepherd. And I just thank you, God, for your goodness day in, day out. Sometimes we don't even see your goodness. Sometimes we're angry in the midst of your goodness. So, God, I pray that as a church now, we can just absorb in that. That would give us peace. It would give us patience. And honestly, it would give us grace for other sheep. Realizing that we're all victims of an enemy trying to come after us. And we're saved by grace, not by our own righteousness. And we thank you for that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go toaccesschurch.com. 